the first uh, letter of Peter, um, and it's chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, and that can be found on page 1217 of the Church Bibles, which can be found at the back of the church or the front of the balcony. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Um, I'm going to start with two confessions today. My first confession is that when I sat down after at that time of praise and worship there, I sat on a mug of water and completely spilled it on myself and on the chair next to Alistair there. So that is my, uh, that's my first confession tonight. Um, I'm just gonna you know, thank the team because it was such a great and distracting time of worship from the cup of water I was gonna sit on. Um, the second confession I have this week is that I, uh, I cried in the company of David Shanks in a cinema this week. Um, I went to see Hacksaw Ridge, and um, Hacksaw Ridge is an incredible true story of a guy called Private Desmond Dawes, who served as a conscientious objector in uh, World War II. And, and Private Dawes had this strong faith conviction that he was to serve his country and serve the cause, but that he was not to bear arms. And so he went in to serve as a medic, and um, his squad then abused him and, and beat him because they saw him as a coward. And they saw him as someone that, you know, you don't want to have next to you in the trenches if he's not got a gun. And Private Dawes made it through this training and was deployed to Okinawa in uh, 1945, one of the bloodiest conflicts in the war. And through the course of this film and this true story, you see... Um, Private Dawes, played by Andrew Garfield, rescue up to about 75 people from the battlefield without ever bearing arms, believing in his cause and rescuing some of the people who had, of course, abused him and rejected him and saw him as a coward. Often left alone, he's creeping around no man's land, um, pulling bodies out under sniper fire. And we see this amazing image of what somebody who's living out our passage tonight experienced. They've experienced love, they've experienced some kind of forgiveness or faith that has changed their actions and they've offered their life to sacrifice for others. And specifically with Private Dawes, it's a way of life of redemptive peace, not of redemptive violence. And this amazing story connected with me in a deep way and I found myself welling up um, by the end of it. Shanksy was very kind to me. <laughs> but we make these choices every day as Christians. We see these big themes and threads going throughout it and that's what this series is about. 
So we want to sort of just, just cap what is it we're doing here? Because we use threads to discern the wisdom and the application of scripture or of a biblical idea. We read different parts of the Bible differently. We see some and say, is this a narrative? Is this a story unfolding? Some, is this a song? Or is this poetry? Is this wisdom? Some, is this prophetic language? Some, is this teaching? Is it instructing? And we see, you know, we might see an example given a narrative of somebody who uses the jawbone of a donkey as a weapon to club 600 enemies or someone else who uses a tent peg to murder their captor. These aren't kind of teaching passages. They're not giving us assassination models that we follow. They're narratives that we draw story from. But we see themes emerge as we read through the scriptures, as we see in narrative, in wisdom literature, in the Psalms perhaps, in Paul's writing to the different churches. Principles start to emerge, popping up across all these different places, kingdom ways that we receive and we see threaded throughout history and threaded throughout the scripture. That's what begins to build a sense of direction for us that affects our choices and everything we do. We see God handling each moment and drawing and weaving something bigger together that we are part of. He's still doing it tonight. God is weaving a picture together through us, his people. It's significant when that happens to us because as we see this bigger picture emerge, perhaps we feel small, perhaps we feel um, smaller than God. And that is a good place to be. As we see more and more of what he's done, we see Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, building us. If you feel small in the presence of God, that's okay. If you feel like God is greater than you or God is hard to comprehend, that's great. He's giving us a picture that says, who are you? You seem beyond words. You seem beyond description. I think that's part of his design. So tonight, you know, don't passively sit in and take in a sermon. Um, grab your Bibles. Grab what this is saying and ask God to speak to you. Ask for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, this one who starts and finishes our faith, to begin to speak and make sense of this to you. When we realize what Jesus has done for us, our lives end up looking and, and feeling deeply new and so different. Sacrifice is one of these threads that we see weaved throughout Scripture that's perhaps easiest to know when we feel it. When we see a film like Haxel Ridge where you see sacrifice, it starts, and you know it's true because we feel it. It hits us in the guts. I wonder what some of these amazing film experiences might have been for you, or what stories of sacrifice have caught you deeper than in your mind. And they're going to be so different for each other. Perhaps it was Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, giving up his life for, for Edward. Maybe it was Arnie and Terminator um, going down with the thumbs up. Maybe it was um, Independence Day, just getting the geeks out there, Russell Case. The pilot flying in to, this, to the alien ship. Maybe it was um, Leonidas in 300. Um, maybe it's Saving Private Ryan. Maybe it was Inside Out. And I know that for already some of you, that one is just, that's just getting right in there. <laughs> but what's the, what's the story of sacrifice that's locked into you? What's the moment that you realize you feel it? 
It's more than a concept. It's something that's experienced. So tonight we're going to explore why did Jesus sacrifice? How did he do it? And how do we live sacrificial lives? So why did Jesus sacrifice for us? We hear this um, writing that Peter wrote to um, Asia Minor, to a group of churches and believers there. And we see this first bit. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So the first thing to grab here is that when we meet with Jesus, it's not just that we were sort of moseying along and then he turned us in a different direction and we became a follower of some interesting teaching or interesting person. The image here, that word redeemed, is the image of slaves being restored and freed. This is so much more than just a casual turn in our lives or an interesting uh, philosophy to follow. We're talking about an example of being pulled out from darkness into light. It's from this, redeemed is from this word lutero, which means the breaking of bonds, the freeing of a slave. This week I came across a story about that. I was thinking, I don't know what that experience is. To be freed from slavery, I've never seen that. And um, a friend of ours, Andy, in the church, works for a, an amazing group who work with governments, uh, IGM. They sound like the Thunderbirds. They sort of work with governments and they enter into situations and they brought rescue to slaves. I heard the story about Chennai in India, in a brick factory, where in the last six years, on two separate occasions, over about a thousand people have been rescued from the same factory. People who were put under forced labor. And here's an insight from their report of what happened. There was reports of widespread abuse and intense forced labor. The rescued families painted a vivid picture of modern day slavery. They had lived in tiny roofed rooms or tattered tents. The families received a weekly allowance of 400 rupees, less than six dollars, barely enough to buy the lowest quality rice. And at 3 a.m. every morning, the laborers began long days of molding, stacking and hauling heavy bricks for hours on end. They suffered verbal and physical abuse and were watched at all times. If they were injured or complained of pain, the owner sent a doctor to give them pain pills and force them to continue. Pregnant women were forced to work without slowing down. One woman said she was not allowed to deliver her baby in a hospital, but rather had to rely on other women in the kiln to help her deliver without medical care. This baby is now two months old. So you can imagine when through the legal structures there, a case is built and they enter and they shut down the plant. And someone from the team enters and asks, who wants to go free? And there's a stunned silence for a few moments. And then hands begin to go up. And following this, people are cared for. They're, they're brought out. They're given care, medical care, and supported. And there's this um, release certificate that is given to the laborers, legally classing them as free citizens, owned by no one. It cancels out any debt that they owe. Perhaps the very debt that led them into that slavery in the first place. And we hear this word, Jesus is redeeming. 
This is the, the picture he gives us when we meet Christ. So why did he need to do that? What have we been redeemed from? This passage talks about the emptiness of life that was handed down to us. So it gives us a picture. This is not just about a ticket to a different life when this one is done. As a church, we're offering people whole life discipleship, not just afterlife care. This is a whole relationship with God, an invitation to be empowered by God to make choices day in, day out that affect the world around us, that bring love and care to people around us. It talks about that empty way of life being handed down. And the question that then just poses with us tonight is, where do you feel empty? Where right now in our lives do we feel empty? Who makes us feel empty? And if we were to hold that tonight, if we didn't just stuff it away, if we hold that tonight before God, the invitation he gives us is to a new life. Maybe it's gambling or drinking or drugs. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's not being able to say no. Maybe it's feeling anxious all day. Maybe it's your fear of failing, fear of being honest with people that you love. Maybe it's just the way the world is right now. It's making you feel empty. Whatever that feeling is, Jesus sacrificed for it. We must be in no doubt that we need Jesus. That the emptiness we feel could be very easy to stuff away. But there's a need in us to reconnect with God, to reconnect with ourselves, with each other, with our world. So how did Jesus sacrifice then? We see this need we have for redemption, for freedom. So Peter continues. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now we hear that, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb. One of the things about being a Christian that seems really, really weird is we talk about a lamb quite a lot. <laughs> it's really weird, isn't it? I'm okay with that. I grew up across from a farm and there was a lot of lambs there and I didn't really think they looked like Jesus. The lamb, the connotations of that, it, you know, in Scotland at least, is if you have a sore tummy or worse, like man flu, the phrase is like, oh, wee lamb, wee lamb. And it would be a phrase of like weakness. I get it all the time. <laughs> but when I, I was growing up across from a farm, the lambs coming probably signified uh, one thing. It was a change of season. It was either the leaves fell and you knew it was autumn or the lambs came and you knew it was spring. Temperature is not a good indication of seasons in Scotland. <laughs> You go by leaves and lambs, where I was from. Because a lamb, when they came, it said, it's spring, things have changed. I would walk to school past the farm and I'd see these very large sheep, pretty ugly, really big sheep. And then a week later you'd go and there'd be lambs everywhere. And then curiously they'd go somewhere. <laughs> and so it reminds us of something. But when we see lambs, it takes us to vulnerability. It takes us to weakness. It takes us to some sort of space that says, this is not a symbol of power. This is not a symbol of, 
of, of strength. And so um, this is all very good for those of us who maybe understand, who grew across from Lambs. Maybe you're from Aberdeen and you totally get this, or New Zealand. Um, but it's very good for people. But this letter was being written to people in Asia Minor, what, not shepherds in Israel. So what did it mean to them reading this about this lamb that was slain? So there's an element that it causes us, and it should cause us, to seek out more meaning from the scriptures. This isn't getting spelled out for people. This is a clue. This is an indication. But when they refer to Jesus as a lamb, it says seek it out in the scriptures. Don't just take it in passively. Find where else is this reference coming up? What did it mean then? What does it mean now? That's the invitation that Peter gave to the, the churches in Asia Minor. It's the invitation we get now. We're not spelling it out. Seek it out. And there's this, this kind of knowledge that seems kind of tucked away to shed light on. An unveiling that starts to happen. And we often call these types or shadows of Jesus. Now, this isn't like Pixar theory that all of their movies are kind of connected in one big story. This isn't like Da Vinci Code where there's some kind of secret message within it that we all run off to Roslyn Chapel to uncover. This is simply more like an artist who unveils that they know the picture the whole time. And they're just unveiling more of this story. God has seen the whole picture of salvation the whole time. It's a familiar image that he uses to unveil an amazing truth. As uh, Josh Gilbert, he would often say, God loves to use the familiar things to launch us into an unfamiliar place. I love that. He's inviting us into something new, using an image like a lamb that seems so simple. And so we can maybe just take a moment and find some of these places through the scriptures where this image of a lamb appears, where this idea of sacrifice comes up. And one of the first places that appears is this idea of when uh, Abraham was, was up the hill with his son Isaac. And the plan was to sacrifice his son Isaac as a sign of faithfulness. You're wild. And just at the moment where he was willing to sacrifice his son, he was stopped. And then they found a, a ram caught in a thorn bush that was then brought in for the sacrifice. And we see these images of lambs being used as offerings. We jump forward to Exodus 12, a thread already starting from Genesis through Exodus into the story of a people in slavery. And the invitation of God and the sign was take a lamb and kill the lamb to eat, but take a little of the blood and put it over your doorpost as a sign of belonging and as a sign that you're the people of God. And then we wind forward again. There's, there's lots of these that appears in the law and there's this instruction, take a lamb without blemish or defect to sacrifice and eat. We're seeing this thread appear. And you say, why? What is that image of without blemish? Well, okay, it's important that they didn't eat lambs that had leprosy, for example. And there's a, an offering symbol there. It resonates with an ancient tradition. God is drawing a thread back through the law and back through covenants and back through agreements into the way an ancient community participate in a symbol of faithfulness and a sign of being God's people. We then step forward, this thread continues into the New Testament when they, um, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and announces his ministry is about to get going. He says, look, 
The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Instantly, people are associating Jesus with sacrifice. From the first mention of his coming as Messiah. He's threading with Exodus. He's threading with the law. It's in this new covenant. And we then see Jesus without sin, without blemish, taking our disconnection, our emptiness, our sacrificing of other people for our way, giving up. God coming in Jesus Christ to be among us. Giving up himself to death, as it says, even to death on a cross. And being raised to life. Notice that this is already God raising Jesus from the dead. Not Jesus' self-effort doing it. He was raised for it. And then it threads all the way through again. So we have this moment of Jesus being announced. And then um, as the Apostle John is writing Revelation, we get another picture of the Lamb. This time in a fulfilling picture at the end of, the, at the end of all things. This vision he had, this image, is written down. And he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature on heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever." And ever. This has gone from the start of the scriptures through to the fulfillment of all things. Jesus, the Lamb. Oh, we sing about this. We sing about this loads, eh? There was the old song, Worthy is the Lamb. Loved it. And tonight we've got that, you know, our God is the, the, the Lion, the Lion of Judah. Our God is the Lamb who was slain. We might sing, uh, this is amazing grace. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Like, I like it the way Phil Wickham does it, or, or Stephen or Rachel. It's great. But I want to hear tens of thousands of angels proclaiming that. Why is that recorded for us? Why was it important to share in that vision? All along, this is a symbol of the coming king. It's a foreshadow so that in Jesus, we can see that fulfilled. A sign of faith. But it's not firstly on us sacrificing for Jesus. Jesus isn't giving us this example and saying, this is how you should live. If you want in the kingdom, you do what I do and you sacrifice everything and then I give you the ticket. This is not Jesus. He opens it up and he says, the kingdom of God is like, in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field, sacrifice. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it, sacrifice. Jesus here is taking all of this. He's saying, we aren't the ones who give up everything for Jesus. What if sacrifice through Jesus flips it on its head? And he says, no, no, I am the one who saw you. Jesus gave up everything he had for us. 
You can't buy Jesus. You can't buy your way into the kingdom of God. That should ring alarm bells in our head if we think that. If we think that giving up everything we have and sacrificing it for God gets us in the kingdom, it doesn't work. That, that currency doesn't work. It's like trying to spend an RBS pound note in London. It's not going to happen. The sacrificial Christian life, it doesn't begin with us sacrificing all we are for Jesus. It was Jesus sacrificing all he had for us. All the honor, the glory, the power, the adulation that was given in heaven was taken away on the cross. If you're feeling like the Christian life is a slog or sacrifice starting with you, then you may be missing the one who sacrificed for us. If your primary experience of the Christian faith is of you needing to sacrifice for God, then you might be missing the God who sacrificed for you and started it that way. So what could sacrifice look like for us as we come into that last piece? It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So we just want to see more of this, more of Jesus unveiling it because as we begin to see more of his sacrifice for us loving others becomes the natural response jesus became the lamb so that we stop sacrificing others for our own mistakes jesus became the sacrifice so that we don't lay other people out for our blame so that we stop shaming others and we stop shaming ourselves he took all the shame all the hate all the fear all the anger upon him. He became that symbol for us. So now we don't do life and we don't do faith for Jesus. We do it in Jesus, from his love. I know this seems obvious, but it took me a long time to catch a glimpse of that. So we don't do it for the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We don't sacrifice our life for God so that we can see more of him just by doing it for him and make sure that he's pleased for us. We do it from the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the only hope we have. We don't sacrifice um, so that he can receive, we can get that. We sacrifice our lives because we see that he sacrificed first for us. We see him as worthy because he saw us as worth saving. This is all a natural response to his sacrifice, his goodness. It's not meant to be hard to achieve. It's meant to be humbling to receive. We don't worship for the love of God. We worship him from the love of God. It's a natural response. We don't try to be kind people for God. We become kind because he has shown us his kindness. We become gracious because he showed us his grace. This is all summed up in the beautiful scripture that says we love because he first loved us. This whole thing is a response to what Jesus has done. You might have really put your life into a mode which was to try and achieve God's grace and achieve his kindness. And if that has stopped working for you right now, tonight might be the night to say, I'm going to start by receiving his grace and changing out how I operate. 
so our life becomes a natural response in worship. As we come into close, we see in Romans 1, Romans 12, 1, it just puts it brilliantly. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We see that sacrifice leads to worship. It leads to giving our lives for others. A pure way to love one another and self-sacrifice for others from the love of God. Sacrifice from our side is about worship. When we lift our hands or we lift our voices or we sing words of faith, perhaps that's a sacrifice for you. You know, your authentic self might not be feeling like telling God he's great. And maybe there's something in us that clings out beyond that and says, I don't know what is going on in my life, God, but if you're there, I'm reaching out. I lead worship here, you know, regularly, most Sundays. And there's a ton of times, I'd say half of the last year, my response coming up was, God, I need to meet with you because things don't make sense right now. I need you to come and speak into my life. And I'm reaching out in faith. When we say that to God, we say our image comes second to what God says. Our jobs come second to what he says. Our passions, we give them all before God. We're sacrificing ourselves for others, not sacrificing others for ourselves. Jesus' care and his sacrifice for us releases us into freedom. And so those three questions that um, we started with. What is feeling empty in you tonight? Where do we see Jesus' sacrifice for us, for you? And what does sacrifice look for us now as we live from the place of his love in view of his mercy and in view of his peace?